0: Welcome to this ground up. The rise of intelligent machines is upon us. As we see around us, smart technology is already on its way, challenging and changing not only the way we live, learn, and work, but also how our entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia construct their concept to commercialization. Irrespective of cyberspace, geospace, or space, the smart future, the autonomous future, is not preordained by intelligent machines as it is the human intelligence that is fundamentally creating the smart technologies, at least for now. Since the smart technology that we are creating today is simply an enabling tool that is being used in many ways to define and determine our ideas and initiatives, It is important to understand that how are we using smart technology to help us create not just prosperity, but shared prosperity. How are we using smart technology to help us define human destiny and not destroy humanity? The discussion today is not about the feasibility of smart technologies. It is rather about understanding its drivers, goals, impact on on nations and all its components, and the evolving human ecosystem beyond cyberspace, geospace, and space. To discuss smart future further, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. James Kenton to Risk Roundup. Dr. Kenton is a leading global futurist, advisor, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, author of Future Smart, the Extreme Future, and Techno Futures, and chairman and CEO of the Institute for Global Futures. He's based in the United States. Welcome, Dr. Kenton. We are so honored to have you on Risk Roundup.
1: The honor is mine, thank you for inviting me.
0: Wonderful, Dr. Kenton. So the concept of smart has so many different perspectives. The term smart has been used widely nowadays. For example, everyone would say we have smartphones, smart cars, smart homes, smart infrastructure, small city, smart cities, smart nations, and so much more. So what exactly is smart future? How do you understand smart future?
1: Well, I wrote a book called Future Smart, so I guess I I have to explain all that. Um, We need uh, to apply, and my thesis is, we're not being as smart as we could be about applying particularly innovations to deal with massive challenges that face nations, face the planet. Uh, We don't have a digital supply chain to even address hunger and food. We don't know where all the food is in the supply chain. Well, that's not really that complex, it takes a certain amount of smarts to do that. So the application of not just you know this this thing up here, the brain, but the ability to be able to use innovations, tools, strategies, whether you're a policymaker or entrepreneur to solve some of the grand challenges that face our planet, as well as yes, the next social media invention or the, the next smart machine. Now, when it comes to smart machines though, I would forecast that we were, are gonna need smart machines to help us figure out things that are smarter about how to manage our future. And they may be climate change or they may be just creating the next business venture. But I think ultimately, we're not being as smart as we could be about our future. And again, we're the ones that are gonna create that future for our kids and grandkids.
0: Yes, absolutely. We are the ones who will be able to define and you know design that future that we are looking for. And you are absolutely right. It is not just the technology, but how we use the technology to create this whole new system around us, the whole new ecosystem for humans, that is what is very important. So we, how we use the technology, what are the requirements for creating that environment that we are dreaming or trying to de- redefine and redesign and how we will apply these science and technologies, the f- rapid developments in science and technology and create this conversion strategies to support those innovation efforts and ideas that can disrupt these barriers that we are trying to visualize towards a smart future. So as technology will likely continue to blur the lines between cyberspace, geospace, and space in the coming years, where do you think is smart technology taking us?
1: Well, first of all, we're not really doing our jobs very well. So policymakers and government, whether you're in a small town or you're managing... Uh, at the federal level, or your business executives or you 're sitting on a board or ngos we're not we 're not doing a good job right we 're just not so the issue the problem is not technology the problem is not innovation it, you know it's not like you know we're now you know robots are going to take over right or or artificial intelligence is going to steal all of our jobs it 's not the point if if we as humans don't step it up and start making smarter solutions and strategies to create more you know, ecologically appropriate environments, to create more dignity at work, to create more opportunities for appropriate work, then folks are going to turn to machines that, I mean, the irony may be that machines, smart machines may become, they may have to remind us what it means to be more ethical. They may have to remind us what is it is to be not racist. They may have to remind us how to create and solve problems, whether big social problems around poverty or big problems around you know, providing the internet. You know, we have this kind of human-centric arrogance that we have all the answers when many of the answers are in front of us, but we're not. Uh, we're not using our smarts, our intelligence to be able to solve those problems. This is not a complex issue. This is actually a very simple one. So I, I'm not, you know, one that believes that you know uh, technology is the answer to everything. I believe that you know human consciousness applying these tools that we created i mean last time i checked you know all this technology around us robots artificial intelligence big data analytics you know this was not this is not about evolutionary biology this is something that comes from humans we made these tools and they're just tools we can turn them on turn them off but the idea is that they're going to help us create a better world so you think about the world of today versus the world even 100 years ago life extension you know we're living much longer we're healthier there's more opportunity there's mobility there's more you know freedom there's more democracy you know we're living longer than we ever did before and we're more prosperous so we know we're kind of getting things right it's just going to take a lot longer and we could collapse time as a futurist that's my that's really my job we could collapse time and solve some of these bigger issues that are facing us if we use our intelligence and then build machines that will augment this intelligence because we're not moving as fast as we could be. Yes, you are right about
0: that. We are not moving as fast as we could be and we, do need to use that human intelligence that you and I would rather say that we need to use that collective human intelligence that is enabled because of this machine intelligence and we can use that machine intelligence and use collective human intelligence to solve many complex problems facing us. because like you said that if we don't use it wisely then you know people are going to there's going to be a backlash because the, so many jobs will be lost if we just very mechanically automate automate everything all the processes business processes and uh, we destroy the jobs, then humans are going to, there's going to be a backlash because as we have seen with globalization, the concept and idea and the the reasoning behind that was uh, right on that let's all, you know, globalize, you know, because each and every nation, we all are in this together. But because each and every nation's decision makers, they did not think of the impact that it would have on their jobs, their nation's jobs, their people. There is a lot of backlash against uh, globalization right now. So it's the same thing with automation. If AI-driven automation is not planned wisely, it is not defined and designed wisely, and the impact is not understood, and the proper change management procedures are not you know, implemented, then we are going to see a similar backlash. So that is, you know, because you cannot just ignore the human component, how the humans are going to be impacted. Now, while a smart future is the objective that drives us as individuals or entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia, there are so many requirements that needs to be followed and realized. for
1: not really, not not really. So let me disagree with you. (coughs) This this notion of, of, this notion that, you know, globalization and and technology adoption. And look, in my book, I talk about globalization 2.0. I mean, let's, I think we should stop kidding ourselves. All right. Uh, There is going to be, there are different economies on the planet. All right. Uh, There are different cultures on the planet. Not everybody. I mean, it may be that some countries say, you know what, we don't want all these robots. We don't want all of this infrastructure. We don't want to provide Internet and the people, even in, in a democracy, might even say, "You know what? We want for a different kind of future, right?" And and that might be uh, it. Might be part of a, a country. A comp a country may say that in this part of China is doing this. For instance, China has said we're going to build a hundred green cities. There are going to be no cars. Okay, it's going to be gonna be clean. Amsterdam has a plan by 2020, 2025. No more cars in Amsterdam. It's very bold. Very bold. So we may some countries have already said, like Iceland we're going to have and, and Germany and many Scandinavian countries said we're going to have sixty percent seventy percent we're going to be based on renewable energy. so now that inevitably each of those decisions, whether you're choosing not to you know embrace technology, it, there may be a cost. It may be that GDP will be lower in certain countries and will be the you know the opposite the antithesis of globalization, right. Uh, and th- but the quality of life may be better or people may have more jobs and maybe, you know, you're not going to get the benefit of competing in a global economy. I think the misnomer about globalization that everybody has to be the same. They don't. They don't have to be the same. But policymakers, you know, it's like you look at uh, uh, India as a good example in the United States. You know, we have a federation of states. Well, there are some states. That are richer and more powerful and embrace technology like California, you know, much more than other states. In, in in Arkansas, we have poorer states and we have less industrialized states, and that's the way it's going to be moving forward. India is the same thing. You have, as you you know, you have some states that are much more powerful, and they've decided, like with uh, Tata's uh, nano car, uh, you know, he spent uh, three hundred and fifty million dollars trying to build the nano car in a state that you know uh, had a socialist ideology, and they really didn't want that. They, they wanted more jobs, and he couldn't make a, a profitable, for whatever reason, the business venture was not viable there. We have the same kind of challenges. So I, I think one way is not going to fit for everybody in terms of globalization. I do think it's legitimate for governments and people to decide, stop, we don't want these robots. Stop, we want to employ uh, when China let GM into China, uh, GM had a plan for you know this big fancy robotized factory, and and the government said no 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 we don't want as much automation. We want to have jobs. So I you know I think there's a role for policymakers to say. You know, I've been a I'm a board emeritus economic development board member of the state of Singapore, and I've I worked with that nation for a decade plus about helping plan you know that's only five to 8 million people, it's a very small city state, but even on a small city state or other nations, and i work with about 10 of them, it's very legitimate to say there are some, you know, stop, we don't need all the same automation as you have in the U.S. We're not, Singapore, trying to, you know, uh, overcome the lack of labor, if you will, right? We have capital, but we don't have labor. I, yes, think, absolutely. This I think we have to pay more attention to what their, see, I talk about in my book, Future Smart, you know, design the future that's good for your place. One of my mentors was Randy Debose, uh, a, a brilliant guy who, who made the statement, you know, think global, but act local. Yes,
0: yes, very true. And like you said, I mean, I agree with your point on that, that automation, uh, globalization is not going to be the same because each and every nation has different requirements and needs based on the geography or based on the industries that they have or the nature of their economy, the nature of uh, their uh, circumstances, they all are going to automate in a different manner. As we have seen with India, I mean, they, the India India's decision maker decided not to go ahead with the autonomous cars. And as we see China, they have, uh, you know, implemented uh, all different uh, automation at a very different level. And United UAE's effort is also very different. They are going very aggressively on so many different fronts that we don't even see that vision here in united states or many other states currently so that there is each and every country is going to automate in a different manner and then when ma- molecular manufacturing when those are well, getting implemented there's a,
1: part of that, there's a part of that that could be very interesting so yes you know, i deal i deal with a lot of nations that are developing nations and i think of uh, you know the the development the developmental arc of China, Indonesia, the Philippines, uh, you know, India, of course. And what I find is that uh, here's a, here, it's good to talk about future scenarios, right? So imagine this scenario where you have people in a in a in a nation, uh, uh, or even a state within a nation, that you know, a group of AIs could design a business that could produce value, right? Economic value for the citizens, and the citizens themselves could focus on other things they wanna do, whether that's leisure or art or it's policy-making or it's creativity or it's just their lifestyle. It could be their lifestyle. I mean, there. if you look at the span of civilization, uh, it's only recently in the past, really not even 50 to 75 years, that people work the crazy schedules that we work. I mean, that's not normal. That's not, that's not, you know, industrial, pre and post industrialization, pre and post information technology era, you know, people didn't work like that. You know, your grandparents, maybe they went ahead and they were farmers uh, or hunters, or maybe they had a little business, but, you know, it wasn't all about endless profit and growth, growth, growth. And now that may not sound the same. I mean, obviously... In other words, I guess what I'm saying is, you look at parts of the world and we are gonna have within five years, and I would say even today, we're gonna be, you're gonna have the ability to create artificial intelligences and businesses that are fully automated, that will produce this equal to, if not superior GDP and profitability for companies and profitability for individuals, where they can, I'm not saying they can put their feet up and go on vacation, but the point is, we're reaching a new point in the evolution of our society where people will harness AIs, smart machines, to do work that humans couldn't even imagine doing. You know, we talk about it being, you know, automation and 4.0 manufacturing, you know, better building cars. No, no, no. How about creating? new pharmaceuticals, creating advanced knowledge products that we couldn't do, that you could take a kid in Mumbai and a kid in Somalia and a kid that they may be able to, just on the same par as a company in the US or a company in Europe in the developed world, they may be able to compete because of internet 4.0, because of the blockchain, because of advanced technologies. So people, let's not just get stuck in arguing over, you know, globalization versus technology versus automation. Let's transcend this. I'm a futurist. Let's get to the next level. Why? Because people are going to have choices in their lifetime now about shaping an entirely new future, I call it. That's the name of my new book. And you know, that new future, I, I'm I'm I don't spend my time, you know, somewhere in the academic or the the ivory castle, I'm in the trenches creating and watching and observing and building the next economies. And uh, I mean, I have business partners Are you know, one of them is a ex-boat person. He came over as a child as a boat person, you know, with nothing in his pocket, right? And now he's a, he's a very successful entrepreneur because of advanced technologies and innovations that are upending and transforming industries and creating new ones. So my forecast is within five years, certainly 10, you will have around the world, we'll have a new kind of globalization, innovation globalization, innovation driven globalization. At the core of it, it's gonna be smart technologies, smart infrastructure, smart machines that will be enabling humans to have more value, to build more, to be more creative, to be more entrepreneurs. I believe entrepreneurs of the future I don't think it's about big companies. I think it's about distributed networks of AIs and humans working together. I'm very, very positive. You know, I was sitting in a meeting in Amsterdam for the World Bank. I was giving a talk about the future of, of food and the digital supply chain. And in the meeting, right, in the meeting, the, was the head of the uh, Gates Foundation sitting next to the head of AID for the U.S., heading next to the, one of the heads of the central bank for uh, Iran. Right, and you had in the other European countries. You know, everybody was together. What well, we all had the same challenges on the planet. You know, climate change, hunger, prosperity, economic growth—they're all the same things. So you want to solve the refugee problem? Let's turn everybody into entrepreneurs and give them smart technologies. You want to, you know, feed the planet? Let's use the technologies we know what to do. So, I, I really am very hopeful that we will wake up and I'm part of trying to wake people up, and I hope that you are too in our audience, that we can make change. We don't have to wait for, you know, smart machines to wake up and say our name. Uh, there's more smart technology, you know, in your in your phone than existed in the entire world. You know, I, I came out of uh, Apple computer in 1981. There was, there's more technology here than we had access to in 1981 in terms of computers. I mean, so I believe, the next few years, you'll have this exponential explosion of very smart technologies. And those technologies can help pe- people create businesses, feed their families, become, if they want to become very wealthy, solve the biggest problems around, you know, health and cancer and Alzheimer's. You know, we're at a time of discovery and innovation. And, and I really am firmly believe we need to transcend our limited thinking about, you know, humans versus automation. We can turn things on, we can turn things off, or we can get to the next level of the conversation. That's what I want I'm challenging people, let's get to the next level of the conversation.
0: Yes, absolutely. We do need to go to the next level of conversation, and we do need to address all those different variables that would prevent us from reaching there. And the geopolitics of technology is, especially you know, the biggest uh, challenge that we are facing, how... The technology will be implemented. What is the political, how it is going to impact the geopolitics, and how this smart future that visionaries like you and I and others are, you know, trying to visualize for the benefit of the humanity uh, to take our conversation and to take our ideas and innovation beyond cyberspace, geospace, and space that how will we be able to collectively? work together to create that smart future to benefit everyone across nations. Because that's where I see the lot of challenge. I mean, technology has a, is giving us a great power and great potential and great promise. But to be able to create that environment, that future, the smart future that will benefit everyone across nations, it is still a very challenging task. And that's where I see a lot of complex challenges coming towards us. What do you, where do you see those challenges, and do you see that we'll be able to create that smart future to benefit every nation and each and every individual and yeah, each and I, I, every-
1: do. I, I, I see, I see, I, I see that it'll benefit everybody, but quite frankly, many of the governments' bureaucracies are in the way. Yes, I mean, I got, I got, a, I got an email last week from. Uh, uh, I think it was Qatar, and you know they wanted to uh, deploy my my think tank services to help them think about how to create uh, uh, the future right now i 've worked with ten countries right and the, um, and the, the, they were asking for a series of documents that are mandated by the government bureaucracy so they can now talk to us to help for us to help them. Well, there were documents they were asking me for that we don 't have in the United States. We just don't have them because we're a liberal democracy that you know has unfettered we've taken off all the chains of bureaucracy if you want to go be in business start a business tomorrow okay you want to be in business they were asking for things like you know good like a good housekeeping seal you know are you in good standing they want to know the owners of my institute they, they had this whole list of things they want to do and i said well, how is it possible you need to have this is a whole list. I mean, this kind of level of bureaucracy. So you want to know part of the problem? Part of the problem is governments, these bureaucracies. You, you, we're not going to get anything done. And I say that I work with the largest bureaucracies in the world. Where are they? The United States. I work with the, the Defense Department. I work with the National Science Foundation. I work with the biggest governments in the world. I've advised you know governments in India and China and Malaysia. You know, I tell them all the time: you've got to transcend. You're going to change your bureaucratic restrictions. It's not just Qatar. You know, it's it's many nations stop their policymakers have to get rid of the controls and bureaucracies that push innovators away. You know, it's like Singapore is the opposite metric. Singapore looked at the U.S. model and said, wow, how do we make any entrepreneurs be able to create value here. Let's create spaces and openness, get rid of the bureaucracies. By the way, we struggle in the US about that too. There's some sectors I don't even advise in my think tank because they've got too much bureaucracy, particularly dealing with the government. I try to stay away from dealing with the government. So my call out for all the government officials and policymakers that are listening, if you wanna encourage entrepreneurs, turn your bureaucratic steps that are many, you know, 10, 20, turn them into one or two steps. You know, we've seen this in Europe. You want to start a business in Europe. You're in France. You need a business license. You'd have to wait for that license. You have to get certain requirements. I mean, what happened is all the entrepreneurs in Paris, they ran over to England, right? And they started businesses there or they came to the United States. I mean, I'm just saying bureaucracy is the is the, is the a drag on Innovation. Innovation is not. Let me put it to you this way: If you, if governments don't realize they're really in the innovation business, to empower their citizens and stop all the bureaucracies which are control mechanisms, if they don't do that, they're going to lose a lot of talent, and they already have. By the way, the United States went through this a decade ago. We lost all these bio researchers and stem cell researchers because they couldn't figure out how to deal with the the restrictions in our bureaucracy. Where'd they go? They went to Europe. They went to India. They went to Canada. So, again, if you're a policymaker at the government level, embrace innovation, get rid of bureaucracy. If you're an innovator or you're an entrepreneur looking to grow that or start a new company or ally with other folks, at the end of the day, uh, you know, you should go ahead and and, and and find the right environment that will support your innovation. You know, I was, in a, I was at NASCOM giving a keynote at NASCOM in India, and it was on innovation. And, uh, and, and the guy in front of me the gentleman in front of me he had 150 slides he was from a, a, a well-known consulting company in India around the world and uh, he, he had 150 slides on innovation when I, after he reached the 80 80th slide right he was advising governments I, I was exhausted I I needed, I needed a I needed a cup of coffee I needed, <laughs> I had five slides. My point is bureaucracy starts. With you, own it, change it, transform it. Because people won't wait to innovate; they'll just find someplace else to innovate.
0: Yes, that is very true. And creating a smart future that benefits everyone is not an easy task. Because, as you said, you know, we have to create that whole ecosystem around it. Because it it, it's much more than the you know smart technologies or the convergence strategies or the government, you know, bureaucracy or We need the support of each and every institution that is a part of the ecosystem because the social justice, rule of law, transparency, accountability, and the collective wisdom of individuals and entities across NGIO and our shared goals and visions, they all are going to play a role if we want to create that smart future that benefits everyone across nation. But there are also other challenges that we are facing, Dr. Canton, in, in terms of uh, harmony, the lack of harmony that we see. I mean, the religion divides us, and then color of skin divides us, nationality and culture, and so many different variables that divides the humans right now. So how, how can we use this smart technology to bring harmony and to bridge those divides and segregation that we still see based on so many different
1: variables? Well, you know, uh, let me be really clear. You know, technology is not the, is not the universal panacea. It's not the silver bullet that's going to solve every problem. All right, so it's just not I mean and if people think it is, then I think that they're wrong, and that's one myth that I think we should get over okay uh, technology is not all the it's not everything it's not going to solve every problem number one number two uh, it's it's not everybody's going to be on the same level okay uh some people uh drive motorcycles, some people drive bicycles, some people drive mercedes, some people drive. You know, Tesla. Some people don't drive at all. You know, it's not an it's not an even future. It's ju- it's just not. I mean, you know, you're going to have invest investments and innovations. You think about what it takes. I came out of Apple Computer, right? We recognize that not everybody could afford. You know, and think about it, our first Macintosh we brought out. It was and, and two thousand and twenty-two hundred dollars for a thirty megahertz computer. Think about it, thirty megahertz. What you get? For twenty-two hundred, what does two thousand two hundred dollars get you today? It's a supercomputer that was outlawed to leave the United States or Europe. You couldn't even sell it around the world. Now, a super supercomputer, two thousand dollars gets you a huge get you a server. You can light up a whole city with you know or with Wi-Fi. So what I'm trying to say is, I, I don't expect the social agenda to be addressed by technology in its completeness. I think the social agenda about justice, fairness, you know, law, uh, sustainability, you know, those are things that humans decide with policies and strategies to do. Technology is a tool. It can be used to help people achieve better justice and transparency and, and equality, or it can be used to, you know, as a dictatorship or as a corporation that, you know, basically wants to fleece you for something. So again, I, I don't want to overplay. All of technology and innovation is a tool. How yeah. you use it is up to you. The smart future is about a much larger issue, which is, and, and, and I think we're getting there. I think, you know, look at the world today and then look at the world. I mean, Steven Pinker, you've got a number of people written books about trying to get us to wake up that we're doing better today as a planet than we have ever before and maybe it's not moving fast enough for people and my answer is great so you know go find a problem and fix it you know like how fast it's moving do something about it and and thankfully you know in my book future smart i talk about there are innovators around the world when it comes to climate or education or you know energy think about how different the world is today right we have electric cars we, you can just about learn anything. There's entire undergraduate and graduate programs that are given away online. Uh, you know, you think about the degree of innovations, technology innovations. And again, yes, I'm a proponent that technology can help create a level or playing field for the haves and the have nots. But at the end of the day, it's the transformation of our planet by these exponentially accelerating technologies that could make the next five years like the last 50 years. And that's what I think is gonna happen. There are gonna be breakthroughs in energy, breakthroughs in finance, breakthroughs in, in education, breakthroughs in drug development, because we have many systems that are, that are broken or too bureaucratic. You think about creating a new drug, it takes 10 years and a billion dollars. You know, that's ridiculous. That's, there's no internet technologies, hardly, that are used in that product. That's ridiculous, that's ridiculous. Why? It's a problem we haven't fixed. It's like the internal combustion engine. Why did it take so long to create an electric car? How, what, what, you know, what What was that about, was a technology? I was in GM's warehouse about six months ago and I got to see all these really cool cars. You know, it's like, it's like car heaven, right? And I noticed that there was a car the first, uh, I think, it was Ford or GM. Ford had the first electric in the early part of the century with batteries, and then GM had one over forty years ago. Where'd they go? What, what happened? It's so you know, innovation is not linear, and the and the and the, the, the connection of innovation and global development or individual empowerment or social development, it's not linear. It's not like, you know, 1930, they only had this, and now we're so much better today. That's to a certain extent of that is right. But at the end of the day, it's like public health has been, transformation of public health has transformed healthcare, much more so than even drugs. We know the data. But the point is, is that we now may be what I call this episodic future. It may be that, in other words, you know, we talk about entropy in, in physics and science or the, the natural kind of evolution of systems like our sun w- is is entropic at some point it will die out billions and billions in the future don't worry about it not not today not today right but like volcanoes erupting and Hawaii. There, there's a certain kind of entropy they reach a certain life cycle they are born they grow they develop and eventually they pitter out and die we we live in a galaxy where entropy rules it so it's likely we're reaching the end of some things cycles and new technologies are now going to be emerging because our need is to deal with big issues like climate change or to deal with commerce and prosperity. You know, why don't we have a billion more entrepreneurs on the planet? Well, that's what the internet will do. That's what mobile technology is. So I'm a great believer. I don't believe that governments or even big corporations have the answers to make a better world. They have part of the answer. I believe that empowered individuals with access to innovation tools Nano, bio, IT, neuro, quantum will transform our society and we can stop, you know, kind of complaining about what we want and start shaping what we want, regardless of where we are on the planet. You think about what people have access to today versus even two years ago. So that's that's where I'm going. You know, you look at the blockchain as an innovation, the blockchain who are benefiting from the blockchain. Well, you know, it's not the biggest corporations in the world. It's not the biggest developing countries, developed countries in the world. It's folks that are the outliers, right? It's it's emerging. That's what the internet was five years ago, right? Seven years ago, 10 years ago. People would say to me, oh, the internet, that's just another what? Distribution, it's a retail. I think, no, you don't seem to understand. It's a complete rethinking of commerce and prosperity and entrepreneurship. Blockchain, complete transformation in how we think about finance, distributed energy, and, and, and electric, this is the beginning of thinking about a new distributed form of, of energy, the circular economy. We're in the midst of a number of key revolutions that people just don't understand. My job as a futurist to say, hey, if you think this, you don't understand it, let's try to explain. That's why I write books. Try to explain not just where we are, but what's coming. But we need to get over these usual kind of, we're, we're stuck in the narratives of, of I think, of technology is bad, you know, stealing our jobs. Globalization is not for everybody. You know, we're in these narratives that are not. We need to transform these narratives, transcend this. If we're going to get any place, if not, we're going to be fighting the same battles and complaining about the same stuff uh, ten years from today. I just don't feel like that's, you know, you uh, know, it's like Apple computer. You go into an Apple store and you realize why isn't everybody just imitate what Apple's doing. Well, you, you go in there, you realize it's a dynamic community of people. Why? What's, you don't need to come up with a new retail experience, whether regardless of what city you are in the world. Look at what they're doing. They have people, there's no cash registers. How hard is that? There's no queuing up for the cash registers. No one does not central, everybody is a node distributed environment where they can dance around you and help you and service you. and. no. no, no. Think, about it. what's the cloud? The cloud has transformed businesses. I can be a business of one. I can be sitting in, uh, in Hangzhou. I can now have a global digital supply chain of people around the world. I communicate with them. I never see them. I communicate them the way we're commuting now. I have stitched together a digital supply chain. It's on demand. I make something, I create something. I use digital currency. I use AIs to do my product development design. Boom. I get the money deposited in my account. I'm an entrepreneur. That's the world we're living in. That's where we're headed. We're not headed towards big and centralized and bureaucratic. We're headed towards flat, distributed, engaged, deployed. Yes. And that's the future economy. That The future economy is going to be based on that. I talk about it in my book. So yes. that's my idea of, of, the, of the future, not you know, kind of getting mired down by these other conversations that a lot of people do care about, and I think they're important, but we can't, Technology is not gonna solve every problem. So it, it won't solve every problem.
0: And the goal is also not to talk about technology. To help us, you know, solve those uh, problems that divides the human race, like based on color or caste or religion and all that, that is not the goal. That that is not what we are hoping for. But at the same time, technology gives us the power to take the right decisions because it makes us smarter. The decision-making process is getting smarter because as you see that we have create most of the knowledge has been created in the last few years and most of the data that because of this uh, digitization and you know big data analytics and uh, iot sensors everywhere we are creating so much data so as we create so much data as we create so much knowledge and as we uh, data analytics and the, how we are gathering the intelligence from that the individual It is not just the individual intelligence, the collective intelligence and how these smart technologies is enabling the human decision process that is fundamentally changing many, many uh, complex challenges we are facing today because as we take decision based on the raw data that we have in front of us, based on the intelligent data that we have in front of us. A lot of these challenges that we have seen in the past and we are still seeing today that divides us as humans that will slowly we will be able to overcome because we will be able to see the facts in front of us that uh, you know are the is the religion the problem or is the color of the skin the problem or is uh, people from where they come the origination the nationality problem we will be able to overthrow all of those you know biases that is there in the human mind because the human decision making process is becoming intelligent and is becoming smarter. Do you see the hope in that that the human decision making process as it gets smarter we will be able to even solve this you know the social problems like everyone says and yes our focus is not to solve the social problem. At this point our uh, focus is to create those economies that fourth industrial revolution and create this uh, big, you know, platforms and big uh, ecosystem that will allow the innovators, entrepreneurs at, you know, from any country, from each and every country to be able to create that vision That helps to solve them challenges within their nation. I get a lot of students, you know, send me emails from all over the world and they have, they ask me all these complex, you know, questions that how do we do this? And I tell them, pick a problem from your nation and work towards finding a smart solution because technology is at your assistance. You will be able to solve many problems that your nation is facing. So I see that the human decision making process. As we make it smarter, using those technology tools, we will be able to solve a lot of problems.
1: Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I just, I just think that uh, there are people problems and culture problems that uh, technology is not gonna be able to do. And I, 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 but the, the good thing that, let's talk about technology differently. When you provide the internet, simply put, because the internet, what is the internet? The internet really is universal knowledge platform. It's also a universal media platform. It's a universal publishing platform. And it's an entrepreneur platform. What I notice is where the most ignorance is, the highest degree of resistance to change, the highest degree of conflicts are in countries that do not have access to the internet. You can go right down the list, right? The, the, the least access to the internet, and that means mobile technology, and you know, 2G, 3G, 4G, the, the least access to the internet is the most conflict, why? Because they're living in the last century and they're divided by religion, they're divided by old blood feuds, they're divided by, you know, propaganda because they don't see truth. So number one, internet, if you wanna transform a culture, Make the internet available to everybody again. I have to come back to Singapore because what Singapore did, for all intents and purposes, is they provided the internet every place. It was the first country to put optical fiber every place, and it, it's just a small island off of Malaysia, right? But in the United States, actually Canada, you look at where the fastest internet is. It's the most productive nations in the world. It's not the United States, by the way. It's South Korea has the fastest. It's Scandinavian countries have the fastest. Singapore is the fastest. It's not the United States, but the United States. Like in San Francisco and in most cities, you get access to the internet. What is the internet? The internet is a learning tool. It's a tool to break down the barriers of culture and differences that separate people. Stop fighting last generation's wars uh, of racism and all of that is is you know racism wherever it is in the world. It's based on power, distrib- inaccurate power. It's based on old political systems it's based on old ideologies, and it's based on the lack of visibility, transparency, and truth. But you want to change all that all day long. We, I mean, there are ministers in nations today that are developing nations, that are, are fast-moving, meaning the economies are some of the fastest moving economies in the world, right? You think about the fastest economies in the world, some of them are in, you know, in Asia, certainly some of them are, 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 are you know, like Turkey's very fast moving economy. So I am a firm believer that the more transparency, the more the internet access provides the ability to be able to see people's differences, that's going to do more to break down and get us as a planet to work together, to think together, to like each other better and understand each other than anything a government can do. Corporations, like Facebook or Google or Baidu, uh, you know, or or many other companies around the world. You know, we're going to do more with apps and platforms, uh, social media platforms. I mean, I have uh, 150,000 people following me. You know, I would say over half of them or maybe three quarters are from, you know, countries outside the United States, which I'm delighted to i mean when i get a friend request from not a friend request but a follower from you know from iran or from abu dhabi or from you know malaysia i'm thrilled i'm thrilled because i i want to learn and i also want to share so i think about that you think about somebody living in an entirely different culture who wants to understand how you think about the future i am very hopeful when that every single time I follow somebody, they follow me. We're from a different culture, a different world, a different ideology. I, I think God bless you know, the internet for creating a new way for all of us in, in, who have differences and have come from different places and different economics and, and to be able to learn from each other. So to me, again, coming back to this notion of technology, you know, I view it as a universal way for humans to get to know humans in a way that governments could never do and shouldn't do.
0: Very true. Very true. No, I agree. I hear you on that. But as as you travel, you also see this. You know, across nations, the decision makers uh how they are preparing their nation or how how they are rather seeing this vision of the smart future and preparing their initiatives or their investments uh where the investments are going or where their ideas are going or how whether they are preparing for the smart infrastructure whether whether they are preparing for the smart future because i when i travel also i see that a lot of uh, you know for example in india when i was on a panel discussion uh before me you know there uh, I would not name uh, any individual because I want to keep their identity, you know, private. But there was a major general who would speak before me, and he would, uh, uh, you know, talk about uh, Pakistan is bad and let's, you know, destroy Pakistan. And you know, he would arouse such hatred in the young students of these, you know, Ivy League institutions there. In India's Ivy League institutions, so it would, and and to my surprise and sadness, I would see those students getting carried away in uh, developing that more hatred toward Pakistan. I mean, I'm not saying Pakistan is not a problem, or Pakistan's rather terrorism, and you know certain negative aspects is not a problem. The whole nation is never a problem. So there is always, you know, there are some elements that are a problem, but to Create that environment in a nation to create, to divert that positive energy of your youth to, towards a hatred. That is not the way to build a smart future. So I would get up and I would say that whatever he just said, Please ignore it because you know what is coming your way—the disruption that is coming your way, the the disaster, the way the industries and everything is being redefined and redesigned. If you are not prepared for it, then you know you have no idea what is uh, how you are going to get impacted. So that is my big concern that I see across nations. Do you see the decision makers ready for the smart
1: future? Well, let's let's you know let's not kid ourselves. There not everybody's on the same page. Yes. So so there are uh uh nation states, there are both state and non state actors who have an interest uh not in everybody holding hands and not in doing good. So let's you know, let's I think it's important as as whether you know we're talking to policymakers or, or or government leaders or uh entrepreneurs, look there is another game going on. Right. And that game at the geopolitical level is called power and it hasn't changed. You know, it's the game of thrones and you have divisions of folks of nation states, state actors, non-state actors that have a, a fierce competition for power. And they're, you know, in the Middle East, there's a power struggle in Europe, Russia. There's a power struggle. In the United States, China, there's a power struggle. So these power struggles are very, we're we're getting better at being able to explain them and understand them and hopefully transcend them, all right? But at the end of the day, there are state and non-state actors whose goals and objectives are to not just wield their power, but to be able to back groups around violence, let's not kid ourselves. This is not something that's going away right away. It's just that we're not entering into a world war and that's the good news. But as we speak right now, there's 20 micro wars that are going on on the planet. Now in a wonderful, ideal world, we don't want any wars, right? But you have to change human consciousness and and that's where governments and, and world institutions and NGOs Need to work together to break down the barriers, right? Between them. And we have done this in the past. But inevitably, this again, this notion of entropy, there's a certain, in other words, will we still be fighting? Will the Pakistanis and the Indians still be fighting the way they're, they're, or still have the animosity between them, the way the Israelis and the Arabs have been fighting for the past, you know, couple hundred years? Are we still going to have pockets of dissension, aggression? Are we still going to have Russia deciding they're going to annex parts of you know Europe? Right? Are we still going to have conflicts around the world that are based on you know what does the rise of China mean in terms of power? What does Iran really want? You know what is North Korea's play in terms of Asia? So these are issues. Let's not you know I'm not Pollyannish about this. Uh, I'm not kidding myself. Uh, I do believe that there are real issues that need to be resolved that everybody needs to be at the table we have organizations like the UN World Bank we have organizations that are attempting to do that these are big vexing problems but again i'm a great believer that you know the the the, the people of the arab states the people of israel the people throughout the middle east whether you're syrian or 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 lebanese you know we have to eventually eventually we will get to a point where we transcend violence and we look at prosperity. You think about the conflict between, you know, uh, the Irish and the British, which is a 300 year old conflict. Why did that change? Because of economics and because of communications and because they wanted better prosperity and they got it. And it was finally a breakdown in a 300 year old conflict. I believe we are headed more in that direction more of liberal societies, more understanding, and I think technology can help, but I think you need enlightened leadership that can move us in that direction. And also, by the way, there's a certain amount of time. What's happening in the Middle East is not serving any families. You know, there are people on both sides of conflicts. They each have parents, children. They each want to have one thing, a better future, right? So that's what everybody on the planet wants. I don't care if you're Iran or Syria or China or you're living in poverty or you're living on top of, you know, the heap. We all want to have a better future for our kids, for ourselves, for our life. Let's help people get that. And then you're going to find something different. Then you're going to find that autocracy without, you know, in, without an enlightened autocracy, you 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 can't have... Uh, uh violence where you have non-participation.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, that is true.
1: Right? So this whole thing of traditional hatreds between parties, we're going to have to out those parties and, and still deal with peacemaking and still deal with conflicts. And it just may mean that conflicts in the future will not be uh, resolved by humans alone, I would believe. I think – imagine tomorrow – you, let's let's play, take a place like Bangladesh, which is very uh, does not have the affluence of even its in, its its neighbors in their neighborhood, or Syria, which has a tremendous amount of conflict. Imagine let's take Syria. It's on everybody's. Imagine imagine a group of smart machines and robots were sent in to secure Syria. No more violence. Every gun was made inactive. Every ordinance and explosive device was rendered when one switch doesn't work anymore. Imagine food, shelter, clothing, security for everybody in that region, outside of politics, outside of it. You know, I I helped create the first uh, internet in Somalia, northern Somalia, in Portland, right? And what we did was we literally got. We found some technology was available, we wrote a standard, we put it together, and it created harmony where there had been conflict. You put a one cell phone in one village, you put another cell phone in another village twenty miles away. What do you have? You have a marketplace. I am a great believer that we can use technologies to help us, but we as humans have to decide we want to turn things on or turn things off. And I'm a great believer that somebody is gonna finally say enough is enough. We deserve a better future and I wanna be there to help them build it.
0: That, hope so. that is what we all are hoping for. So what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners, especially about your books and initiatives and uh, the young students who are watching this and the young, the youth across nations, what would you like to tell them to about the smart future and the role they would play in the coming, building the the smart future of the coming tomorrow?
1: Well, the first thing I'd like to say is to remind everybody that they are the future they wanna make. So stop looking to somebody else. If you don't know how to program uh, a computer, you don't understand about, you know, Java, or you wanted to learn about Slack or technology, guess what? There's this thing called the internet, all right? It is your school. It is more advanced than anything you're gonna learn in the classroom, okay? So take advantage of it. Number one, two, be the change agent you want. Don't look to just because you may be young and inexperienced and you don't have a degree from the right institution. Who cares? Steve Jobs never graduated college. Okay, you got um, uh, Bill Gates never finished graduate school. Okay, you got a lot of people who didn't got most of their most of your learning is going to be on the street. Okay, if you're in Hyderabad, you're in Santiago you're in Paris, you're in the the deepest, darkest place in Africa that has no internet, go move to a place where the internet is, okay? Find out what it takes to be an entrepreneur. This next thing is have a plan for the future. You need to have a plan. One page. What is your future? Don't depend on everybody else. And then ask for assistance. There's people around you who will teach you. There's the internet. Ask Have a plan for the future. What are you going to do to be a game changer in the future? What are the three things you're going to do? What are you going to learn? Who are you going to work with? And what are you going to do to make a commitment? You want to change part of the world. What are you going to do to make the world a better world? That's on you, not on your teachers, not on your parents, not on me, not on you. I wrote books about it. You can read them or not. I don't care. The point is you are the future. Go create that future.
0: Very true. Very wonderful advice. So thank you so much, Dr. Canton, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on smart future and our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the unique analysis on forces of innovation, automation and disruption that will help them understand the coming tomorrow of smart future. So even if a single individual or entity can understand the technology trends and automation and disruption and smart future, Based on the understanding they received from the discussion we had today, this risk roundup dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that.
1: Thank you, thank you. Thanks for inviting me, appreciate it.
0: Take care. Wonderful, so in this episode of Risk Roundup, our concept of SMART is about bringing intelligence in all actions and decisions we as individuals and entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations and academia. For the future, we envision individually and collectively. Risk groups, cybersecurity, geosecurity, and space security risk research centers are created to identify, evaluate, and manage the security risk facing NGIOA and CGS. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. It is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts fit into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos or hear the risk roundup podcast. Please go to riskgrouppilacy.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Shree, host of Risk signing off. See you next time. Thank you.